0: Do you like to learn about random, wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest With your unusual body of knowledge And if you dig the show Get more information at Ladyfoxentertainment.com And subscribe, rate, or review Thanks Are you a wine lover? Have you ever wondered Why wine is considered More sexy than beer? Well, me too And aren't we both fortunate To have one of my personal friends The incredibly talented And knowledgeable Diego Meravilia, To teach us today Yes, indeed we are But first I want to tell you About Diego Diego is one of the founders of the North American Sommelier Association. He's also the vice president and the director of education and an acting teacher for the organization. He was born and raised in Northern Piemonte, which is on the border with Switzerland and Lombardia in the Alps, and has worked in numerous restaurants between Italy, Dubai, and L.A. In 2009, he was awarded the prestigious international prize AIS Villa Sandy, given to only 15 sommeliers worldwide for innovation in the profession of sommelier. In 2013, at the Worldwide Sommelier Association Best Sommelier in the World competition, which took place in London, Diego ranked fifth. The competition involved 21 countries and 26 semi-finalists. So in other words, he's badass, people. He's been featured extensively in the industry and the general press, and in addition to being the VP and director of education and the teacher at NASA, he is now a freelance consultant for restaurants including Trattoria Neapolis in Pasadena, California, and a professional freelance wine educator and Italian imports director for Winemonger, a boutique importer and distributor based in California. There's a lot more information available on the website nassamelier.com. That's N as in Nancy, A S as in Sam, O M. M-E-L-I-E-R. That's M as in Mary, everybody. Welcome, Diego.
1: Hey, Michelle. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: Great. Thank you very much. I am so
0: glad to have you on this program.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: I want to start and just dive right in by learning more about you, having you share about your background. How did you get into wine?
1: Well, I mean, it's kind of a curious fact. I mean, I'm still trying to figure that out today. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, people ask this all the time, and I'm like, I got to think about that. Um, Well, weren't you
0: raised by a family who had a, a, a vineyard?
1: Right. I mean, it's it's wine in Italy is ubiquitous. So obviously, you grow <laughs> up with it. I mean, my first glass of wine, I was like three years old. So someone would probably get arrested in the United States. Yeah,
0: you got started kind of early.
1: Right, right. But it's normal in Italy, you know, your, your yeah. grandfather would mix a little wine with water and, and you live in, the, in between vineyards. So you're seeing this, these plants and you see the uh, the people and the farmers and, and living their lives taking so much care mm. uh, for these plants, loving them like they're, they're children, you know? And, yeah. And when you're like 20 years old or you're 15 or 14, you're like, these guys are crazy. I mean, it's just just wine, you know. (laughs) But then as I matured uh, and I went through my musical career, which you know, I I started feeling some parallels. You know, I started feeling parallels uh, between the artistic side of music and the emotional side of music and the artistic and emotional side of wine. I started noticing that winemakers and grape growers and people who were in this business had that same kind of like. Um, in tune with nature and in tune with uh, with art and, and expression and emotions. And uh, I, I didn't see that anywhere else. I couldn't, I couldn't find that in, in beer, which at that point I was drinking a lot of. I couldn't find that in <laughs> you know, other, other industries. So it just became a fascination. And uh, really what happened is when I was back from tours, I would go on tour uh, for like one month, two months on end, and then I would get back and I would have nothing to do except study Uh, I was going to college and uh, I decided to enroll in the, in the um, Sommelier University in Milan in Northern Italy. And then I guess everything went from there. I, you know, met friends, met people and started getting sucked in. And Mm -hmm. when I moved to the United States and uh, music became um, more of a uh, secondary um, hobby, uh, wine just took over and it kind of took over by itself. Yeah. I really, I really can't answer the question, like what happened? It's, Things just kind of evolved. It
0: sounds like it's your purpose to me. Right. It
1: sounds like you kind of were
0: you went away from it for a little while and explored some other things like beer and music, right. <laughs> and then you and then you were kind of drawn back to it. So it was like a boomerang effect. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, which is super cool, actually. Um, at, at at all points of our lives, we're always going to be drawn to whatever our purpose is. Sometimes it takes a little longer for some people, like me. <laughs> even, even even if we don't know, right? <laughs> right. We'll all figure it out at some point. So, so let's talk about wine. What is wine?
1: Well, fundamentally, a fermented grape juice, which sounds, okay. uh, sounds very simplistic to put it that way. But um, I mean, if you think about it in history, uh, look, at, look at history, or I mean, European history at least, so Western history, uh, you see that the only beverage that's mentioned in the, in the Christian Bible and the only beverage that's mentioned in any religious writing, for that matter, is, um, is wine. I mean, mm-hmm. no one talks about beer. Or, or, or distilled spirits or any other kind of yeah. any other kind of beverage. Wine seems to have this mystical, uh, almost spiritual um, seduction power, mm-hmm. And, it, and, and, it's, and it, it has had it for centuries. So at the end of the day, you're talking about fermented grape juice, but the way I like to say is, like Galileo Galilei said himself, that it's uh, sunlight held together by water. Oh, wow. Which, um, which to me is basically a, a more complicated way to say that it's the summary of man and nature in a glass.
0: Wow, that's deep.
1: Yeah, but it is because you can, uh, you can smell, you can taste, and you can feel the person that made the wine. You can feel the land that it comes from. You can feel the environment, the heat, the sun, the temperatures, uh, and everything. Uh, when you drink a glass of wine, you, you can't do that with any other beverage. It's It really has that power. That's
0: amazing. And I want to hold on to that thought, and I want to revisit that later, because I think that that could go into a much deeper conversation about the power of wine oh, it will. and that magical element. But before we get there, I want to help people understand the basics. You know, what is a sommelier, for example?
1: Well, you know, this, this fermented grape juice, uh, which is grape juice with alcohol fundamentally, uh, is um, – So deep and complicated to understand that throughout history, a professional uh, figure, a professional uh, position has been created, a professional qualification has been created to uh, help people uh, wrap their minds around, uh, understand, and choose this beverage, which is so complicated. Um, Now, today we also see beer sommeliers, we see olive oil sommeliers, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But the origin of the word sommelier comes from somme, and somme was a French word that meant stock. So basically, the sommelier was the man who was in charge of the stock. Uh, basically, the guy who was in charge of the uh, pantry and the beverages and the cellar. Okay. Um, and he was the person who was, he was uh, charged with uh, uh, choosing, selecting, uh, pairing, uh, pro, you know, advising, consulting the rich men of Europe... Uh, on which wines to purchase and which cheeses to pair the wines with and so on and so forth. So he mm-hmm. was like, he was the guy who was in charge of basically the inventory of, of, of rich people. But so much more
0: than that. Right. It wasn't right. just the inventory. It was about making those important
1: choices of pairing. No, actually, sommeliers would die on their job very often. What? Yeah, because they were, they were the people in charge of tasting wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Oh, God. And uh, you could imagine if there was a noble man in Europe that was a particularly hated one uh, and had a lot of people that wanted to kill him, uh, the psalm would be the first to go. (gasps) Oh, my
0: God. (laughs) It's like a built-in bodyguard.
1: Right. Luckily, luckily today we don't have to do that anymore. But, uh, but yeah, it's a very ancient – it's a very ancient traditional and and, – um, official qualification that started in Europe in the 1500s.
0: Oh God, it goes way about,
1: back. Yeah, we're talking about easily five plus hundred years, six hundred years mm-hmm. almost. And uh, but in the United States, it's different, though. In the United States, it's a far younger th- concept, and then we probably want to cover a little bit of that. But uh, so the Psalm then evolved and they evolved into basically the wine expert. It's the guy who knows everything about wine and and knows how to suggest it, knows how to. Uh, consult restaurants on which wines to buy, uh, customers on which wines to drink mm-hmm. for their palate, how to pair it with certain foods, how to serve it, how to store it, uh, and so on and so forth. That sounds so,
0: overwhelming. Like an overwhelming is. amount of information. So, So what does it take to become a sommelier? Because it sounds like you'd be studying for years, almost like a four-year degree kind of thing. And also, how do you choose what your specialty is? Because you can't possibly know about everything, can you?
1: Right. Well... I mean, the, the bad, the, the sad thing is, the difficult thing is, not sad, the difficult thing is for a psalm is that you have to know everything to become a psalm, otherwise you can't. Oh. Right, that's the thing. It's a very, very difficult uh, certification to get, and mm-hmm. I think anyone, anyone who's seen the movie psalm has an idea... Of uh, of what it's about. There's a movie out there that, that shows how you know the process of becoming a mm-hmm. uh, sommelier. Uh, we had a we had a lawyer, an attorney, a pretty successful attorney, once take our course, and he actually passed the exam. And he came up to me after passing, and he said, "You know what? That was more difficult than the bar exam." Oh my god! <laughs> right. So that's actually good to know. No, it's it's a tough it's a tough uh, certification to get because there is a lot of information. But the beauty so. about becoming a sommelier is that you have to study. A whole bunch of different topics that will open your mind as a human being in an unbelievable manner, uh, because becoming a sommelier, you have to study not just about wine per se, but you're studying geology, you're studying geography, you're studying mm. history, mm-hmm. uh, you're studying um, you know the human anatomy as well, how the how the tongue and the nose and the palate works. So literally, you're like learning about five, six, seven, eight different subject matters. Wow. You know that in college you would do you know only that one by itself. And right. Put it all together, and you're doing it you know by, by by studying about a beverage that when you drink you have fun. So mm-hmm. it's 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 the best <laughs> thing ever.
0: <laughs> well, how does the taste uh, portion come into this? Because you know to me it's like subjective, right? So how can you uh, get your palate to a point where you're able to um, make a good recommendation, but it's not totally subjective?
1: Well, that's a good question. You see, it it is and it isn't subjective. Um, Now, I know it's very democratical for people to say, oh, it's subjective. Um, Your preferences are subjective, meaning that you prefer a a Napa Cabernet Sauvignon compared to an Oregon Pinot Noir or one wine compared to the other because that's what you prefer. That's your palate. That's how you grew up. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And that's how, you know, the things that you prefer, the smells, the flavors that you prefer. But analyzing wine and understanding it is not subjective. Uh, it's absolutely objective. I mean, wine is made of certain building blocks, uh, certain things like, for instance, acidity, which you would get from chewing on a lemon. Uh, and uh, and those things are not subjective. I mean, they're, they're physical and they're factual. So what sommeliers do is they train to basically be like an analysis machine where we would smell the wine, put the wine in our mouth, and we would evaluate and analyze all the various levels Uh, think of it like a blood test you go to you go to the uh, hospital they take a blood sample they put it in a machine the machine spits out like your you know uh, cholesterol level your uh, white blood cells red blood cell count you know all that kind of stuff so that's basically what we do Uh, no one's invented a machine to taste wine because ultimately wine is something that has to give us pleasure so it's Mm. not something you know purely well we hope they don't Right, we hope yeah, we- I feel like
0: that's been invented for a- any other industry, you know, so it's like it's probably coming. Right. Don't maybe- give anybody any ideas, Diego.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is coming, but at the end of the day that's what we do. We basically are like these blood uh, analysis machines of wow. wine. And um, you make and it then-
0: sound like such a such a dark position.
1: <laughs> no, but it's fun. It's poetic, because then we have to take that analysis and we have to explain it to the average Joe Schmo. Right. right? someone who doesn't, you know, know about cholesterol and white blood cells. Right. 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 So, so, so give have- us an
0: example. Give us an example of, um, you know, that kind of a scenario.
1: Well, so I mean, I, I would technically analyze a wine and I would basically go through the visual, how it looks, how it smells, and how it tastes. I would evaluate the level of acid, the level of uh, alcohol, how it feels, you know, and so on and so forth, and plus a whole bunch of other things, obviously. And then I would have to take all that data and I would have to explain it to a customer. And I can't go to a customer who doesn't know anything about wine or knows a little about wine and say, Oh, this wine is you know moderately crisp. The poly alcohols are you know barely minus, and oh it's you know and it's warm plus. Because these guys would look at me and be like, "What the hell does that mean?" You know, at, <laughs> exactly. At, at, at the end of the day, someone just wants to know how it tastes. Mm-hmm. So we have to be poets from that point of view. We have mm. to take a scientific analysis and transform it into a poetical uh, kind of like uh, paragraph to describe the wine. So okay. I would say, you know, the wine is. Um, has this aroma of citrus that it's reminiscent of lime, uh, with a background of damp earth. Uh, it's a little sour with some salt, so it's a little salty on the finish. You know, and the alcohol is is very well balanced, so it's not warm. It doesn't like you know, heat your chest or burn your throat when you drink it. Hmm. You know, so, so you're basically transforming a scientific analysis that you've done. Into a, a
0: physical experience of it.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're communicating that because I remember that when I went through the uh, psalm school in Europe, which was three years in Europe, it's a lot longer than here. It's a far deeper and longer uh, qualification to get. Uh, I remember one of my best teachers always telling me, remember that a psalm is a communicator. Hmm. A psalm is a communicator. He's someone who has to be able to explain, you know, describe, and entice uh, a consumer who just wants to have a glass of something, right? Right. And, and give him the right stuff and give it to him in the right way. Mm-hmm. And also,
0: if you communicate, it's almost like being a salesperson, too, because if you say it the right way, then they'll take that bottle.
1: A <laughs> psalm is a salesperson. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And believe me, uh, it could make the fortune or the uh, demise of a restaurant.
0: I bet. I bet, which is why you're so revered because you probably do a lot of sales I with do your passion sales.
1: for it, right? Well, but you know, I mean, I do a lot of sales because I understand people's palates. So when they when they trust me, they then come back to me because they know that what I recommended to them fits what they yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I just if I just BS my way through things, you know, people are going to realize after a while that there's a disconnect between what I'm telling them and what they feel, and they're not going to buy it from mm, me.
0: Mm-hmm, sure. So you mentioned earlier um, that there's a big difference between becoming a sommelier in uh, Europe versus America. So can you tell us more about that?
1: The main difference is that in the United States, uh, the figure, the job position of sommelier, uh, or the qualification, I should say, of sommelier is quite recent. Um, It was introduced in this country from a popular point of view only in the 1960s, 1970s. So Previous to the nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, yes, there were sommeliers, but it wasn't a qualification that anyone in the United States needed, wanted, or even knew about. Uh, indeed, the movie Somme has a, a phrase that says, "You know, the hardest exam in the world that you've never heard of." <laughs> uh, and in Europe, though, it's different. In Europe, a sommelier, everyone knows who a sommelier is because it's it's like a tr- it's like an age long, age old mm. qualification. Mm-hmm. So my main issue with the United States um, is that the um, sommelier in the United States is seen more as a job position per se. Right. And not a qualification. So there's a lot mm. of people out there that call themselves somms, but have never gone through SOM school and do not have any certification. Ooh. Right. And they call themselves SOMs because they work at a restaurant and they select the, the, the beverage, right. or they buy the wine. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that because it's a little bit like me saying, well, I'm, I'm an attorney because I work at a law office. Right. So it, it's not the same thing. You didn't
0: pass the bar. I didn't pass the bar. Right. So oh. um, so this is very interesting. And I'm fascinated by the differences because in America, we do need more of that, like, knowledge. And we don't have that kind of history
1: here. No. You know? So but- is this
0: why you formed NASA?
1: that was one of the reasons i mean we formed we formed it in 2006 was the beginning and then it really consolidated itself around 2011 2012 mm-hmm. and we did it because we really wanted to spread more the knowledge and culture of wine which doesn't end doesn't begin and end at the bottle or the glass it goes way beyond that i mean someone has worked for a whole year in a land far far away mm-hmm. to grow these grapes with painstaking Uh, devotion uh, to express where he's from and his history and his people to send that bottle across the world to make a difference on whether to hook up one night or don't get married or don't and that bottle Hmm. that bottle is going to be a memory for people because the night that you get engaged the night that you uh the day that you get married the night that you know you fall in love the bottle that you were drinking is going to stay with you for the rest of your life that's so true. So, There's a whole
0: memory attached to it. And this is interesting how you're tying that to how it's made, because my guess is that most people wouldn't think about somebody putting that kind of like, heart energy into
1: creating a bottle
0: of wine. They might think it's just kind of like, oh, they just throw it in some barrels and check on it.
1: No way, no way. It's one of the uh, Wine making is one of the most difficult, disciplined, uh, frustrating jobs on the planet. I've seen the best winemakers in the world like, you know, go out of their mind because they didn't know what was going wrong or what was happening. It's a natural product.
0: Okay, a little pause Uh, to mention NASA to you guys. I'm sure some of you are already wondering how you too can learn more about wine. Well, check this out. NASA is super rad. They exclusively utilize the renowned and internationally acclaimed World Sommelier Association curriculum. Their courses include the Wine Primer Basics course, the Italian Wine Specialist, the American Wine Specialist, the Master of Olive Oil, the Master Wine Taster, and many others. Distinguish themselves with an exciting, upbeat, hip, and intensive associative life, continuously offering seminars, masterclasses, events, referrals, dinners, networking mixers, and educational symposiums to members throughout the year and across chapters. I encourage all of you to visit nasommelier.com for much more information. And now back to the show.
1: Unlike beer and, and and spirits, which are man-made products, wine is, is basically a product of man helping nature express itself. Mm. So when you're dealing with nature, you're dealing with the weather, you're dealing with uh, the temperature this year was half a degree higher on average than last year. Uh, you're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with like meteorology, and 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 any meteorologist or any weather forecast agency will tell you that to forecast the weather is one of the most difficult things ever. Right. So to forecast how your wine's going to turn out because of how much it rained or how hot it was or how cold it was or how the wind blew that year, you know, is is really really difficult. Uh, many things can go wrong. Wine is alive. It's it's completely alive. It's something that changes. Uh, evolves, uh, mutates with time. I mean, wine even gets affected by the moon. If it's a full moon or not, wow. it's going to taste differently. So interesting, right? So I mean, is it
0: the pull, the whole pull onto, right. yeah?
1: Right. It's it's you know it's it's hard to explain, but if you understand something that's a product of nature and something that's communicating nature and the environment is subject to it. So whatever happened in nature and the environment throughout the entire production process of that wine is going to affect its flavor.
0: And I would imagine also the, the mindset of the people handling the grapes and choosing the grapes,
1: right? Right. right. Painstaking work, uh, very physical. Uh, I mean, winemakers will tell you that they don't really know how the wine is going to taste until it's ready to bottle and sell. hmm And then at that point, they have to make a decision. They have to say whether they want to sell it at a certain price or not a certain price, or they want to label it as the important wine, or maybe that year it didn't turn out too good, and they're going to have to label it as a cheaper wine and sell it cheaper. Uh, Through
0: Trader Joe's or something.
1: Whatever, yeah. I mean, they don't even know. They don't even know. That's interesting. They follow follow formulas, and they follow methods that, Mm -hmm. that they've learned throughout their life, and they go by instinct. But they have no way of saying, oh, yeah, it's absolutely going to turn out like that and it's going to mm. have flavors. Mm-hmm. It's not Coca Cola. You know, Coca-Cola, they know exactly how it's going to taste every single time they make a batch. Right. You know, with wine, it's a whole different story. They have no idea. I can see
0: why that would be so frustrating and like drive someone to insanity. (laughs) You have no control over your process.
1: Right. I remember a winemaker in Italy, you know, being really frustrated one year because his wine had a a sour flavor that that his wine had never had before. And he was going nuts trying to understand why, what he did wrong, what happened, and then it was something really, really silly, like like that year, the cold wind that blows down from the mountains blew for like a week longer than usual, and and, and, and it gave the, the grapes this extra sour acidity. Wow. So it's, it's stuff like that. You know, it's really difficult. And the best winemakers in the world will tell you that all they do is let nature speak for itself. Mm. Uh, there's a famous winemaker in France uh, called Nicolas Jolie uh, up in northern France, and he has a beautiful phrase. He says... Uh, I'm not a winemaker. I'm a steward of nature.
0: (laughs) I love that. What are some other factors that influence the final taste of the product?
1: Well, you know, weather, uh, the weather patterns, obviously. So you're talking about temperatures, rainfall. um, Obviously, man, the way the wine is made, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, man has to take those grapes and uh, nurture them through the process uh, until they go into the bottle. So So if it's hotter than normal, what happens to the wine? Oh, if it's hotter than normal, you'll get more alcohol and you'll get, you, you'll get riper fruit flavors. So mm-hmm. you'll get more jammy wines. Okay. Wines, wines that have more fruit on them. Mm-hmm. If you have a colder year or you're in a colder area, wines will tend to be more earthy and sour. Mm-hmm. What uh, about the quality of soil? That's the second, that's the other thing I was about to say. So the soils are the second most important thing in, in how a wine's going to turn out. So where you decide as a winemaker to plant your vineyards and what soil you're planting your vineyards on, which is not a choice. I mean, you can't throw the soil, you know, in a place and plant vineyards. I mean, wineries spend millions of dollars in hiring geologists that do uh, soil analysis in plots of land before they decide to plant vineyards. Wow. So um, it's a a very, you know, accurate thing that you have to do. So the Mm -hmm. type of soil composition, what soil you have in that area will provide certain flavors to the wine. And then you know the barrels that you use. You know what kind of barrels, uh, where they come from, what kind of wood they're made from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, man obviously has uh, you know a part in it. And there's this lovely French word that many wine. Mm-hmm. There's this lovely French word that many wine people may have heard of, uh, or even people that are not into wine may have heard this word, and it's called terroir. And it's a French word that's largely used in, in, in the wine world, and it basically is a word that summarizes. A phrase which is a sense of place hmm. so every wine that you open has a sense of place it smells it tastes and it feels like the person that made it the people that harvested it the, the soils where it grew the weather where it comes from
0: so can you taste a wine and know oh this is from such-and-such such a winemaker
1: in Italy uh, that's very, very difficult to do, but I could definitely taste the wine and tell you where it, where it comes from.
0: Mm-hmm. And so how, give us an example of um, the way the soil in Italy tastes and differs from maybe something in, you know, Napa.
1: Well, Italy would be way too generic. I mean, you'd have to actually go and look at single towns or single villages, you know, uh, let alone the whole country. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it gets that specific. It's like saying wine from Burbank will taste completely different than wine from Van Nuys. (laughs) I I mean, it's not about California. Great example. Could you uh, you imagine
0: if wine were made in Burbank?
1: (laughs) Hey, they're making wine in the Hollywood Hills.
0: Are they really?
1: Yeah, if you look at the Hollywood sign, and as you drive up Vine Street, you'll see there's a whole vineyard right next to the Hollywood sign. No kidding. Someone planted vines in the Hollywood sign. How do you feel about that? I want to taste the wine. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a little curious. I'm not really sure what would come out of there. They make wine in L.A. They make wine next to the 405. There's a beautiful winery called um, Moraga, which is in Bel Air. Okay. And they make wine off the 405. And I'm sure you can taste a little bit of those cars. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to (laughs) say. Or if they're
0: doing it by the Hollywood sign, there have been a lot of suicides off the
1: Hollywood sign. Oh, gee, (laughs) that's bad bad, bad mojo. Bad juju, yeah. Uh, Right. No, but I mean. There's one thing I want to tell you, though, which I think may be uh, interesting for for some of your listeners. Um, The more in tune with nature you are, the better wine taster or wine connoisseur you become. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? Travel the world, smell the soils, hike in the forests, uh, smell the flowers, taste different foods, uh, try to meditate, try to be... Uh, more in touch with nature and that will help you connect better with wine because wine is expressing nature so at the end of the day if you've been to tuscany and you've smelled you know the 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 vegetation in tuscany and the soil in tuscany and you've been there and you've had the stuff and you've tasted the food uh, and you've soaked in the environment you'll be able to recognize tuscan wine with 10 20 times easier Mm -hmm. than otherwise that's why when I went to Scotland and I toured Scotland, all the distilleries in Scotland, I decided to do it by bicycle. Wow! And so re- you could just
0: kind of smell the air and experience, I,
1: yeah. Right, and people told me why by bicycle, and I'm like, because that's the best way to soak in an environment, feel the air in your skin, smell the smells of nature, feel the sun in your face. You know, I mean, experience mm-hmm. that the the feeling of being in Scotland, not in a car or in a train, where it's kind of like a you know enclosed. Um, neutral experience. Mm-hmm.
0: You know? So this immersion in nature sounds so important. And this, this ties back to what you had um, touched upon earlier in the, in the show, is that this magical element to wine. Yeah. So, so let's dive in deeper to this and tell us how this turns into um, improving our own lives and kind of like this whole circular awesomeness and, and oneness with nature.
1: Well, I don't want to be too much of a philosopher in this case, but um, I think that at the end of the day, being in touch with nature, which is where we come from, is the best way to understand ourselves, Uh, to understand why we feel certain ways uh, in certain days, why we have, for instance, bad moods or good moods, uh, why we uh, get sick but we get better. To find our path in life, I think, is easier when you get in touch with where you come from and it's similar to family which becomes very important you know if you grew up without a mom or a dad it becomes a lot more difficult in life to find your way and your inner peace Uh, and I think that knowing where you come from makes it easier to know where you're going so since wine comes from nature and wine is the best beverage in the world throughout history and I'm not the one who says this look at ancient Greek philosophers ancient Roman history Mm -hmm. You know, medieval writings and, and even the Bible, like the Christian Bible, if, if you're Christian, but um, it will talk about wine and it will talk about the power of, of wine to communicate places and nature, which is where we come from, uh, and to summarize it in a glass. So I think this magical element goes beyond the tasting uh, the uh, the tasting of the acidity in the wine or the alcohol in the wine or the, the blueberry or the blackberry that that wine gives you. It's more like a feeling. And this feeling uh, will help you be a better wine taster and it will help you also get in touch more with nature, which in turn puts you in touch more with where you come from. Oh, I love so that. You'll, you'll notice that most real deep Wine experts, like really deep wine experts, like not the ones that do it to make money or because it's a trend or whatever. But people that are really, really into wine and live it, are most of the times they're either hippies or they're people that go camping all the time or they're people that love nature or they're people that are very you know modest and down earth human beings. Uh, you know, it, it, it really is like that. It's a lovely industry to work in because mm-hmm. there's a lot there's a lot less pretension arrogance, and, and, and a lot, a lot less, um, uh, how can I say, um, superficiality compared to a lot of other industries. Really? Because I would think the
0: opposite. And maybe that's just me being ignorant. But you know, when I go to a fancy restaurant, I get intimidated by the sommelier.
1: And that is something that I'm fighting. That is something that that is something, unfortunately, that me and the NASA is fighting on a daily basis. We absolutely want to get rid of of that whole snobbery, uh, elitist uh, kind of like uh, veil that mm-hmm. has been put, that has been put over wine. Uh, Absolutely, it's you know, there. Un- unfortunately, there's rotten apples in every basket, right? And 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 the the one it only takes one or two rotten apples in a basket to contaminate the whole basket. <laughs> so at the end of the day, you know, it's it's it's. I, I would say be very weary of of snobby wine people because because that is. The wrong reason for someone to get into wine. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like music.
0: So it doesn't have to be an elitist thing that you that you should feel intimidated by.
1: It should be something that everyone can experience. It comes from dirt. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to put it. I mean, wine comes from dirt. It comes from from a farm that uses that has animals uh, Mm -hmm. and chickens. You know, and I mean, it's it's yeah. If you look at it that way, it's a lot more accessible. (laughs) It's, It's like potatoes. You know, I mean, it's it's a product of the land, Mm -hmm. so it belongs to everyone. And I think that.
0: But it is interesting, though, that beer beer is associated with kind of like blue collar. I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna work on this thing, and I'm like a hardy man. And wine is more of like like it has this idea and this reputation of being foofy and maybe overly sophisticated, right? For a very simple reason.
1: Uh, Wine, like nature and like the environment is a lot more difficult to understand than beer. So when a product or a beverage or something is more difficult to understand, it takes a lot more effort. So the people that put in all that effort to understand it feel like they've got something more or better than the people who didn't put in the effort to understand it. And that's where that snobby Mm. element comes from. I see. Right? It's a little bit like a doctor Who goes through college to become a surgeon and then treats everyone like an idiot because he studied the human body, but everyone else doesn't really understand how the human body works, which is the wrong way to look at it because a surgeon should say, I dedicated five years of my life to fixing the human body so that I could do good to society, Mm -hmm. right, so that I could like, you know, help people.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, a true psalm, you know, and a true wine lover should want to communicate that passion, communicate that enthusiasm, and communicate that connection with nature, not be, oh, you poor guys, you know, don't understand it, I'm better than you. Uh, (laughs) and, and, And unfortunately, there's many people that have that reaction, there's another thing that must be said is the money factor. Uh, since wine takes so much work in making and so much investment and hard work and so many people are involved in making wine, the cost per bottle of wine is significantly higher than the cost per bottle of beer. And so it, it's seen as a pricey thing, and only people that have money can you know afford to dwell in that realm, so to speak. right, you know and that's another one of these problems, which which we're trying to, which we're trying to um, uh, fight in society as, mm-hmm. as, as educators. We're trying to tell people, look, you do not have to spend hundreds of dollars for a bottle of wine to get something really good. Right. You really don't.
0: Right. You can get an amazing $10 bottle of wine.
1: Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. But you can also get a crappy $10 bottle of wine, and you can get a crappy $100 bottle of wine.
0: Yes, and that's a good point. So just because it's got a high price point doesn't mean that it's great. Not at all. And that's something that's important for people to know. Because I think a lot of people just be like,
1: oh, that's expensive, it must be good. But, yes, but it, But this is the this is the catch. It's safer... And the probability of it being good is higher if it's more expensive than if it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. So to select really good, cheap wine, you must really know what you're doing. So you must really know wine.
0: Right. I'm dying to ask, like, what's an example of a good, cheap wine?
1: Well, I mean, there's, wow, there's, there's, there's plenty. But for instance, uh, generally speaking, if you look at southern Italy, uh, there's a specific region in southern Italy called Puglia. Uh, which is spelled Apulia in English or Puglia in Italian. It's a deep southern part of Italy. They make a, a grape. They make a wine from a grape called Primitivo. Okay. And uh, this grape is pretty popular in, uh, in in the United States. I mean, you find this wine everywhere. I mean, Total Wine's going to have it. All the wine stores are going to have it. You know, Trader Joe's has it. You know, and and these wines cost you seven, eight, nine, ten bucks a bottle, and they taste amazing. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's a lovely quality price, uh, you know, so there's plenty of wines that are cheap and are very good. It just takes a lot more knowledge to to to, f- to know.
0: Yeah, right. how they're made all of that right. kind of stuff. So how if they are um, less expensive? How is that being done? Is it because they're just, you know, bigger uh, amounts that were produced that year?
1: That is one of the possible reasons. Uh, higher areas that just grow more grapes and can afford to bring the prices down. Uh, it could be a matter of like uh, the average climate. So, I mean, think about it. It's a lot more difficult to make good wine in a place where it rains all the time and the sun doesn't shine and, 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 it's a lot, and, and maybe the, the mountains are really steep than making you know, a good wine in a place that's warm and the sun shines all the time, and so on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. one of the secrets, sticking to the example that I gave you about Primitivo, one of the secrets in why Primitivo is averagely so good for the price is because that region of Italy, that place in Italy, it it, it never rains. (laughs) It's it's always sunny, it's always nice and dry. You know, the the plants don't struggle to grow grapes. they, They produce plenty of fruit. You know, I mean, it's easy. So there's a lot less effort into making wine uh, in people from there than there is somewhere else. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, you make me so inspired. Like I want to go and travel and and ride a bicycle and, and smell the air much. and all of that. Yeah. That's,
1: that's the whole point.
0: Yeah, there's so much more appeal to it. Um, and it's making me feel like, hey, I could do this too. You know, even though I don't know anything about wine, this sounds exciting. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with the listeners about wine, your passion for wine, anything along those lines?
1: I think just... Don't get scared. Really, don't get scared. Uh, As an educator, as a person who travels Canada and the United States and Europe teaching wine, doing seminars, I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of faces come through these classes. And I always see in many that same look of intimidation. Mm -hmm. And just break that down. Uh, Say to yourself, it's just wine. It's grape juice coming from the earth, from dirt, from people with dirt under their fingernails. Uh, don't be scared. Uh, don't be intimidated. It can seriously improve your life uh, if, you, um, if you can appreciate it and you know how to get into it. And, um, and don't get scared, really. That's, that's the main thing. Don't get the stage fright.
0: I love it. That's such a great tip. And everybody out there listening, Diego has been gracious enough to offer all of you a special discount if you want to enroll in a course at NASA. Uh, Email info at nasommelier.com. Put the special code NOL2016. That's NOL2016. Get $50 off your course. Uh, Reach out to Diego. He can be reached through the website at www.nasommelier.com. Diego, you're awesome and i love your story i love this like metal drummer turned sommelier expert
1: hey by the way i'm not the only one (laughs) really yeah i actually discovered in la that most of the people that are in the wine industry uh are either you know guitar players or drummers drummers seem to be the most (laughs) that's pretty cool
0: well you got to do a study on that and see what the the connection between drumming and wine is i would have no idea (laughs) you'll figure it out and we'll have you back again for another episode Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you so much, Diego. And uh, safe travels around the world. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bye-bye. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits. Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.